Amen. Hey, that's right. Uh, page 109 for you hooked on pages. And we're on once again the topic of OBDNs. Okay. As we saw there, this is our second time in it. And if you were here last time, as I was looking through this, a couple things popped out at me personally. And to me, obedience isn't that hard of a thing to understand uh, why and all that stuff. Uh, if you uh, really take a look at uh, the whole premise for obedience. And I would say that uh, basically you can translate this chapter is basically this is love as we saw last time, uh, is in action, okay? Because that's what you're doing. You're saying, thank you, Jesus. And that's the other thing. It's a loving attitude, and it's a thankful attitude uh, for what God has done. And when you realize what he's done for us, is it really that hard to obey him? Should we really have to have our arms twisted and our teeth pulled to obey God after all he's done? Absolutely not, if we love him and if we're thankful for what he's done, okay? And, uh, but I wanted to kind of set the pace with a story that if we, if we get the motive, okay? The, what's the motive? Because that's really what we're dealing with here. What is the motive for obedience? This isn't just something that, oh, that's what Christians have to do. You got to do Christian stuff. You, you got to go to Sunday services. You, you, you got to witness once in a while. You got, you got to, if you really want to demonstrate how spiritual you are, show up on Wednesday nights. You, you know, it's, no, it's, it's, it's a way of life, but it's a natural response out of love. Let me share this story with you. There was a man who was a tyrant. Listen, ladies. All right. And he insisted that his wife uh, got up real early every single morning to prepare his breakfast. Right, men? You guys are still chicken from the barbecue joke on Sunday. Uh, but anyway, that's right. He was very demanding with regard to her care of the house, and he required a strict accounting of the money she spent on uh, groceries, uh, clothes uh, for the children, all that stuff, etc. And then one day he died, and all the ladies said, oh, okay. Anyway, uh, well, later she married a man who was just the opposite. He was loving, he was tender, he was considerate, he was unselfish. And one day she was going through some of his papers uh, of her first husband, the tyrant, and she found that list of all the things that he required her to do. Well, then to her amazement, she realized that she was doing all those things for her present husband, but without being required to do them. Listen, she re realized that she was doing them voluntarily because she loved him. That to me in a nutshell is Christian obedience. God is not, are you kidding me? After all he's done for us, he's not some tyrant. Oh, he's trying to ruin our day. He just, well, I always have to do all this boring stuff. Why is he going to have me? Are you kidding me? After all he's done for us, this is a natural thing. We're naturally doing it because, it, thank you, God. Just like that lady, God is not a tyrant. Okay, we saw, hey, the first question on there on uh, 109, can't I live the way I want to? As we saw, well, yeah, but why would you? <laughs> if that really is your attitude as a Christian, Something's wrong. You should be saying, no, I, I want to live the way God wants me to. Again, out of love, out of thankfulness. And the other one that we saw, hey, this is not a pathway to, oh no, I'm going to have a boring life. I'll have no friends now if I follow God. As we saw, it's a pathway to blessings. God blesses obedience, okay? And this is what we saw, okay? And that was what is obedience. You simply do what God says to do. Uh, page 1010, why should we obey? We saw a couple things there, and that's kind of where we left off. Number one, because prior to getting saved, the Bible says we were children of wrath. Can I translate that for you? We were headed to hell, okay? Now we're not. Hey, I think that's a good reason to obey God. What do you guys think? John, pump it up there. Uh, number two, we saw it because it makes sense. As we saw there, God desires what's best for us. Name one command in the scripture that is bad for us. Okay, not one. It's all for our good. Okay, number three, because God commanded it. 
Okay, he's God. I'm kind of thinking he makes the rules. You might want to do what he says, okay? Uh, and this is where we left off towards the bottom there, page 110. A final reason for obeying our Father is the fact that someday we will be held accountable. Is your blank there? Accountable for the way we lived our lives here on earth. Are you serious? Yes, I am. Uh, Dr. J.I. Packer states, quote, the gift of justification, just as if you never sinned, basically, being declared righteous before God, does not at all shield believers from being assessed. Okay, assessed, is your blank there, as Christians, and from forfeiting good, which others will enjoy if it turns out that as Christians they have been slack, mischievous, and destructive. Christians never do that. I mean, we always get along. It's always great. We're a great teamwork, and, and we're peacemakers, not troublemakers, and man, we're, we're just getting... Man, Tom, he's going to meddling. I'm not even five minutes in the study. What's going on here? Okay, uh, he says no, and that's what's going to happen. Okay, now, as we saw before, just very quickly, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about you're missing out. What you're missing out on is what the Scripture talks about is the issue of rewards, okay? Uh, and it's not that we're trying to earn our way to heaven, but we have the privilege of earning something to lay at the feet of Jesus. Just very quickly to recap, the Bible talks about five different crowns that Christians that you and I could earn. Okay, there's the incorruptible crown. There's the uh, crown of life or the martyr's crown. There's the crown of glory, the shepherd or the elder's crown. Uh, pastors get that. The crown of righteousness, longing for Jesus' crown. Uh, the crown of rejoicing, that's the soul winner's crown. You lead somebody to Jesus, you get a crown for that. Come on, it's pretty uh, simple, okay? And, uh, and, and I always like number four, the crown of righteousness. That's the longing for Jesus' crown. All you gotta do is long for his appearing, you get a crown. That's rough. If you love them, I mean, don't you, if your loved one's been overseas for several years, men in the military or ladies, vice versa, back and forth, and they come home on leave, what? Oh, do I got to see him? <laughs> no, 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 right? And Jesus is coming back. Shouldn't we be going? And then we see signs as we've seen in our study in Bible prophecy. It's getting close. Woo! He's coming back. We get a crown for that if you just simply long for him. And we saw before Revelation 4.4, 4, I'm not going to belabor it, that uh, it's not that we're going to get to heaven, John, unfortunately, and say, my crown's bigger than John's crown. I got way more than he, hey. No, uh, we laid them at his feet, okay? And here's the whole point. After all, if you're thankful, if you're in love with him and so glad you're not going to hell, don't you want to get there and at least have something to lay at his feet and to say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Okay, that's the whole premise of what we're talking about there. We're going to be assessed. This assessment is what the theologians refer to as the judgment seat. It's your next two blanks there. The judgment seat of Christ. And it's mentioned in passages such as 2 Corinthians 5.10 and 1 Corinthians 3.10-15. Let's read those for the context. The first one, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Let's take a look at that one first. 2 Corinthians... 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 is the first one. <clears throat> and here's what he says. Now, as you turn there, just grab the context. I what I really like him bringing this point up when it comes to obedience is because when it comes to this truth, I really don't think we Christians either believe it or want, and or don't want to dwell on it very much. But it's true. Because if we believe what we're about to read, uh, I think it'd curb our behavior a whole bunch. Okay, let's take a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse uh, 10. Here's what uh, uh, Paul says. He says this, For we must all, Christian, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or 
bad, okay? What we do here on earth is extremely important, and it is going to be judged whether it was good or bad. That's really going to happen. Now flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, okay, which is the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And Paul says this, he says, but each one should be careful how he builds, okay? He says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, okay? Now, after that, what happens? Well, you're building something on that foundation. He said, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, notice the contrast, okay? His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. Gold can survive fire to a certain point. How well does it compare to straw? How long does that last in the fire? Or wood, or, you know, and that's the contrast he's talking about there. That's your choice. He said, uh, it's going to test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he's going to receive a what? Reward, yay. But if it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved because remember, our salvation is secure. But here's what's sad. But you're going to get there to heaven only as one as if you just made it through those flames. Whoa. Speaking of barbecues, you ever get too close to one? So close that it's like, whoa, whoa. And it actually, started, flames didn't quite come out on you, but your, your clothes were just starting to smoke. You ever do that? Besides me, apparently. <laughs> you know, guys, come on. Anyway, so yeah, okay, and that's the picture that's used here. You get to heaven, and instead of having something on a platter to the crown, see, woohoo! It's like, whoa, I just made it out of hell. Smoke, almost caught on fire. That's sad. After all Jesus has done for us, that's how you want to show up and say, thank you. Here's some smoke. That's not good, okay? And that's what he says. And that's why I say, I'm glad he he, uh, said this because I don't think we really believe it. Because if we did, kind of shores up some loose ends, doesn't it? Okay, and that's what he says. These passages reveal that we will appear before the righteous Lord for evaluation of our deeds, whether they're good or bad. Our inner character and the motivation of our hearts will be revealed. Uh, uh, Dr. Dwight Pentecost comments, uh, the apostle is revealing the fact that the examination at the Bema or judgment seat, okay, now again, let me explain. I think we talked about this before. This is not a judgment seat for salvation. This is a judgment seat that basically the Romans did to hand out rewards. Okay, they come by and it would be tests. And, and basically, to give you a visual, you know, kind of like at the Olympics, okay? And they stand, they go before the deal. And, and this guy, based on his times and his efforts, whatever, he gets to stand on the tie, highest podium, you know, number one, and then number two, and then number three, and the rest of you guys are back in the bleachers, okay? But uh, uh, that's what's going on. It's, it's not like, oh, no, I hope I get to heaven. Okay, it's, no. What, how, how was your race after you got saved? You know, here, here comes, it's trophy time. Crown time, okay? That's what we're talking about here. But, but it is going to be looked at, is what he's talking about there. What did we do after we got saved? The apostles revealing this exam, the, the bema or judgment seat of Christ, is to determine that which was done by God through the individual and that which the individual did in his own strength, is your next blank, that which was done for the glory of God, okay? And that which was done for the glory of God of the flesh in other words yourself okay thus the fact and here's the whole point listen if we really believe this guys the fact that we will face an assessment of our works at the end of our life should be motivation to goof off even more no to obey 
Okay? And again, I mean, it really, I guess it helps. I mean, if we really had a heart that really was thankful and in love with Jesus after all he's done, do we even need this? But this is a reality we've got to deal with, okay? Because I think sometimes we could take things for granted, even our salvation. That would never happen, would it, Mike? No, no, that's those people that live way down that way. Not us, okay? And But this does help. Now, let me give you one more passage, then we'll move on. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 is kind of another interesting passage. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to read verses 33 through 36. Jesus, of course, speaking here. And he's talking about uh, issues. How do you know true and fake, phony, real? Okay. And he talks about, well, it's because you can say all you want. That you follow him, you could say, no, it's going to be what, what comes out of your mouth. It's going to be your life. Now, we're not saved by our works, and we're gonna, I'm going to clarify that again. Okay, but then again, you also know if uh, somebody might be playing games. Might be able to fool you and I, but God knows the heart. You can't fool him. And that's what he talks about. He says, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. But make a tree bad, and its fruit is going to be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. I like that comment I read from one guy. Uh, he was talking about his, his pastor, and he was talking about a certain group of people. And that's, shepherds do have to do that. They feed the sheep, but also protect the sheep, which means you need to warn the sheep of false teaching and false teachers. Okay? But then some people in our politically correct arena that's even crept into the church, you can't say nothing negative about nobody. And you can't call out their names. Excuse me, Paul called out Alexander and uh, Philetus and, and those guys. He called them out by name. And he says, I hand you over to Satan, by the way, because you're teaching heresy. He called him out. Okay, but anyway, so the one guy had said this. He says, he came up to his pastor and said, hey, you don't, don't be saying that. You know, the, if there's some of those people here, they're going to get offended. He said, well, I, 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 at least I didn't say you brood of vipers. <laughs> That's what Jesus said. He didn't mince words. What's that? Snakes, man. Okay, poisonous snakes, deadly snakes. He said, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man uh, brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to what? Give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, again, we're not dealing with salvation, Okay, but there is an issue that there is a judgment. And now what I liked about that is Jesus speaking is it's not just the importance of our works, i.e. our life, what we do, okay, but it's also with our words and basically what we say. Mouth. Has anybody learned that mouth can get us into big trouble, unfortunately? And that's what James chapter 3 says. Man, it's like, it's like set on fire by hell itself, he says. That's some serious charge there. Okay, it's, it's, anyway, so, but uh, let me read to you what... Uh, uh, John MacArthur says about this. He says this, the words of men are accurate gauges of their hearts. If you have a transformed heart and Jesus Christ has come into your life and transformed your heart, then you will speak words by which God will justify you. If Christ has never changed your heart, then you will speak words by which God will condemn you. Now he says, this does not mean that we're uh, not saved by grace. We are saved by grace through faith that not of works, lest anyone should boast. But the next verse says, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace through faith unto works and words. The works and the words prove that the faith has been there. So God can look objectively at your words and know whether you have been redeemed, and so can you. 
okay? If you have any question about whether you're saved, listen, I love this comment, listen to yourself when you talk when no one is around or when you're angry or when you're irritated or when you're upset. Words will reveal what is in your heart. Now listen to this. He says, in fact, I don't know if you know this, but scientists say that our voices set in motion sound waves. Those sound waves go on an endless journey through space. Had we the instruments delicate, delicate enough to do it, we could pick up every word uttered by every human being that has ever lived on the face of the earth since man was first created because their words are still floating around the universe. Isn't that weird? He said, listen to this. Now, we can't recover those words, but God can. It's all right out there. Which means there is no secret room discussion. There is no private whispering rendezvous. There is no closed door conversation apart from God. There is no phone or conversation or text message he's not aware of because he sees and hears it all. It's all floating out there. We think it's gone, but it's all there to be retrieved by God. Isn't that creepy? Man, when you know that, when our lives are going to be assessed, our works, our words, kind of helps from that department, doesn't it? Okay, let's continue on. Well, how do we do it then, John? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, here's what we do. The first blank there is know God's commands. Know God's commands. Number two, draw on God's power. Okay. Three, have the right attitudes, which means you delight in it. You do it carefully and you're sincere. We'll get to every single one of these. And then learn to deal with temptations. Okay. Let's take the first one. How do you walk in obedience? Well, first of all, you need to know God's commands. You guys have heard the exciting acronym that Christians are, we always seem to have a knack to do these things, don't we? Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Isn't that cool? Man, let's just close in prayer. Okay, but there's a lot of truth to that little acronym because that's what it is. Okay, what do we do after we get saved, before we get to heaven? Hey, you might want to crack open the Bible. Uh, there's some basic instructions in here and they're all good for us and it tells us what God wants to do and it's a pathway of blessings and it's our way of saying, thank you, God. Woo, we can earn. It's all in here. Do you, is it any wonder that somebody doesn't want us in here? And that's what he says. We need to know God's commands. That's pretty basic, but we need to remind ourselves of that. It is very difficult, he says, to be obedient to God's commands. That's your blanks there. Commands. If we're not sure what they are. Okay, have you ever worked at a workplace and you got hired, and they never gave you a job description? Have you ever been in that position? It's just like, I don't know, it's just like you, you, you're, they didn't even give you a pillow that you could go to sleep at night and through osmosis, all the instructions leach into your brain so you're ready to go the next day. It wasn't even that. Remember how frustrating that was? And then they get on your, on your case when you're doing something wrong and you were like, I, you never even told me what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's just like, what? Okay. How frustrating it must be as a Christian if we never get into the Bible and we wonder why we keep falling into ditches, we keep getting into trouble, there's all kinds of problems and headaches and it's all right there. Hey, your job description's right here. All you gotta do is read it. Okay, and that's what he's saying. We, we, you gotta get in there and read it. You know, It's a pathway to blessings, he says. And by this time in our study, we'll have covered personal Bible study and scripture memorization, which we have. And by now you should have started to study God's word daily and should be learning what God's desire is for your attitudes and actions. Right, guys? Because we already went there, and right now, that's what we are doing, every single one of us here, right now. Hey, listen, preachers can dream too, people. Okay, but anyway, that's right. Hopefully we are. Okay, and he says, it is found. We should be reminded of the verse that we studied before. It is found in Paul's second letter to Timothy, verses 16 and 17. All scripture 
is inspired by God and it's profitable. We've talked about this before, but I've got to bring this up. I love this. It's, what's, why, why should we study the scripture? It's, it's torturous? No, it's profitable. Okay, for what? That means it's for our good. For teaching? Hey, that's cool. But listen to the next two. Repu- uh, reproof or some translations rebuke. How many guys wake up every day and go, oh, I just, I can't wait to get rebuked. Come on, bring it on. Give me five of them today. No. Uh, correction. Oh, isn't it awesome how we, we always have such a, a soft heart that will say, yes, I gladly receive correction today. Thank you for letting me. Okay, and then of course, training in righteousness. Yeah, that's cool. Notice there, 50%, half the time. Once again, two out of four. Okay, those are the things that make you squirm. Those are things that are uncomfortable, but notice it's for our good. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. That means, by and large, okay, at a Bible study or church service or whatever, half the time we should be squirming. And if we're not, something's wrong. So there should be something convicting, okay, in the Word of God, okay? There's, at some point, we're going to get rebuked because we're not perfect, myself included, okay? At some point, we're going to get corrected, Okay, but yes, of course, it's a good time of teaching and training in righteousness. Okay, why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Studying what God's perspective is from his word will equip, is your next blank, will equip us to walk in obedience. Again, is it difficult to be obedient uh, uh, if we're not sure what uh, God requires of us? Okay, it's very frustrating, like that job. Right, number two, we need to draw on God's power to obey, Okay. And that's what we saw in the text uh, dealing with temptation. We learned that our power, that's your next blank there, to live the Christian life comes from yielding to the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, when we become Christians, we are given a new nature, and that gives us a new desire to continue to do the same simple things that we always did with absolutely no conviction, no change of direction, because you just, you just pray your prayer thing and you're done. You're in like Flint. No. Uh, no, it, it's a desire to do good because the Holy Spirit's inside of you to produce holiness. We saw that in length in our previous study. Okay, we need a caution here though. Yielding to the Spirit is not simply letting go and letting God. And of course, you'll have to speak British and you have to be in the lotus position when you say that. Right, Mary? No, okay, that's a, that's a classic 60s saying. I'm assuming that's when it started, whatever. Okay, and, uh, but that's not what it is, okay? The, the, you have some involvement in that. You don't just stand around like, oh, okay, God, take over. Okay, there is an element of faith. We'll get to that in just a second, okay? And that's what he says in Romans 8, 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must what? Die. Now, flesh is what? Self, sin nature, you. It's all about you, you, you. That must die, what did Jesus say? If you're going to be my disciple, a worthy disciple, you must pick up your cross. The first thing you do, though, is you deny yourself, pick up your cross, and come follow me. Greek is in the continuance there, which means so as to make it a habit of life. Day in, day out, whether you like it, lump it, leave it or not, if you're going to be his disciple. Okay, so that part must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live. And Jerry Bridges comments on this verse. Uh, Though it is the Spirit who enables us, that's your blank there, enables us uh, to put to death our corruptions, yet Paul says this is our action as well. The very same work is from one point of view, the work of the Spirit, and from the other is the work of man, top of page 112. It is clear from the passage that God puts responsibility for living a holy life 
squarely on us. We are to do something. Now, let me give you an analogy. Believe it or not, guys, I, I think I'm, I can't just say it. I'm going to have to draw a picture of it. All right, see if I can pull this off there with my nifty uh, training from TV Guide and when you had to draw Skippy the Turtle. Remember those days? Okay, and, uh, but, uh, okay, man, that looks cool. All right, does anybody know what this kind of instrument is? Praise God, you guys actually got it right. Yeah, and I had to draw that because apparently they don't have them out here, okay, unless you have a rock mower. But uh, which, believe you me, I'm not complaining. I'm so into this uh, desert landscape, this uh, faux grass. It's, what's that? Really? Man, you guys are like upper crusty people. But anyway, that's right. But you're so, you're so lawnmower. They, they, they do make these for those of you who have rock landscape and faux grass like myself. But uh, uh, let me give you advice. Okay, you can have a lawnmower, right? It could be right out there in your front yard. I mean, it's fully gassed up. It works. It's great. It's a big old giant man mower, 3.5 Briggs and Stratton. You know what I'm saying? It's a big guy, you know, way overpowered, right? And uh, it's sitting there, but uh, what do you got to do? All right, I'm just going to let go and let the lawnmower. <laughs> now, actually, there are people trying to invent those kind of things. <laughs> like remote control, or whatever. But I don't want to ruin my analogy, John. Anyway, so, uh, no, you got to what? You got all the capability, it's right there, but you have to take your side of the equation, your responsibility, and that's what he's talking about here. You don't just stand around and go, okay, God. Okay, there has to be some sort of initiative. You have to put that thing down, and then yes, you trust that the Holy Spirit is going to empower you. Again, I don't want to belabor that. We've been there uh, in great detail in our previous study, but you have to do something. You don't just sit around and stare at the wall, and that's what he's talking about. We are not to stop trying and start trusting that that lawnmower is gonna take off on its own. No. Now, the good news is once you start that baby, okay, you're going to have to do the kick it into gear, then it does its job, right? But you had to get up and start it, okay? And I think that's a good equation there. Over and over again in the epistles, not only Paul's, but the other apostles as well, we are commanded to assume our responsibility, it's your next blank there, for a holy walk. Paul exhorted, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, okay? This is something we are told to do, okay? Your, your earthly nature, your sin, put to death, yuck. Hey, here's another analogy, okay? So let's say that you, uh, again, it's none of us here, but uh, you've been, uh, uh, that old trash is getting piled up pretty good. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's just sitting there, and it's, it's all uh, just, I mean, you got a way out, you know, you got, all you got to do is take it to the curbside, you know, the, the truck's coming today to get rid of the trash for you. Okay, and it's starting to stink and whatever, but uh, is, is that what you do? You just, you just, just let go and it's going to mysteriously float away. And No, if you want to get rid of the stink, what do you got to do? Put that thing to death. Put it, out in the, put it outside. And that's what he's talking You, you got to make that choice. No, I'm going to get up. I'm going to take this stinky thing and I'm done with it. And that's what he's talking about. I'm done with this. I'm done with this selfish, self-centered way of life. I'm, I'm, I'm done living by the flesh, as the scripture says. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just putting it outside and wonder of wonders, things don't stink as bad, do they? Okay, and that's what he's talking about there. This is something we are told to do. It's a joint effort as we make a volitional choice to resist temptation and at the same time depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do so. Now, this is a great one. Have the right attitude. You know, because have you ever run into somebody that, find, that actually you're excited? Yay, two people showed up to help build this house in nine days. I guess it beats none. Okay. But when you get there, when they show up to help, they're all whining and complain. It's like, okay, you can go now. Take an early lunch. 
It's like, why'd you even come then? Why did you even come? It'd been, just go. No offense, just go. And that's what I like about that. Have the right attitude. And here's the funny thing, guys. As if God doesn't see all this. He sees it all. If you, it, 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 here's, here's an exciting uh, picture. I'll have to do sound effects on this too, Orson. Ready? Now, that's supposed to be smoke. Because the work that you just did just burned up to nothing. 1 Corinthians 3. You did it with the wrong motives. You weren't doing that for God. You whined and complained the whole time. You wasted your time. I pray this all the time. Oh, God, please use me in spite of me. And please cause me to do what you've called me to do by the power of your spirit because unless it's of your spirit, it's a waste of time. I can't get back yesterday. I can't get back even today. I can't even get back the time before I even got up here. And so, so if, you're, if you're, quote, doing what he's called you to do, man, don't let it burn up in smoke. Have the right attitude. And that's what he says. Delight to do God's will. Oh, man, Tom, do I have to? Let's make a crackle noise. All that time, let's say you helped out last week with BBS and you whined the whole time. Guess what happened with that whole week? You spent a whole week of... Wasn't that profitable? That's exactly what he's saying. You've got to have the right attitude. I tell, whoa, yeah. And, and is it really that hard? Because you love me and thank you for not... I'm not going to hell. Okay, and that's what he said. As stated before, Christian obedience deals not only with the outward conformity, but also, just as importantly, with the inward heart. And submission to God's word. Psalm 40, verse 8 says this, I I delight, whoa! And we delight in a lot of stuff, don't we? Right? But do we, I delight to do God's will, which includes serving, helping out, being good with our mouth, with our works, our words. Yes, I delight. Okay, then you got better chances of not everything crackling up. Okay, oh my God, thy law is within my heart. Now, second of all, do it carefully. Okay, and I want to define that word there. It was carefully. It's like, oh, 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 don't step. Oh, it's not necessarily the uh, connotation that we have here. Let me read it for you. Deuteronomy twenty six sixteen. Uh, this day, the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. It's really kind of a cool word there in the Hebrew, careful. It's not like, oh, I'm going to break something. No, okay. It's the Hebrew word uh, shamar. Let's say that. Shamar, okay. That means to guard, to watch over, and protect. Now, when I popped that word up there in the Hebrew lexicon, uh, the, the phrase that came to my mind was not shamar. It was shazam. Remember that thing? Remember that character thing, whatever it was? Anybody remember that? I don't know what the guy said, Shazam! And all of a sudden he turned into, he had his tights on and the cape and, and he was there to watch over and protect and that's what it is. And that's, I, that's it, worked, it worked for me anyway. And that's the visual I got when I said Shamar in the context of this, be careful. Okay, what does it mean? It means to, to guard, to watch over, protect. And so listen, when God gives us an order to obey, we should turn into Shamar, and skip the underwear and the cape thing, but we, we got that attitude, da, 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 like a superhero Christian, I'm gonna do it, da, 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 da. I'll fight against anything, I've got to do God's will, Shamar. All right, anyway, it worked for me, but uh, that's what it means to be careful, it's just like, ah, da, da, da. I've got to do this. 
Okay, anyway, but anyway, this was Moses' statement after uh, he told the children of Israel all that God required of them. Okay, these were people that were still under the law. So how much more then should we be careful, shamar, okay, uh, to observe Christ's command now that we walk in grace? Okay, when God says something, man, you, all of a sudden superheroes should pop out. I've got to do this, okay? Now, the next one is be sincere. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, I love helping out with potluck. Yeah, be sincere. You just wasted your time. You blew it. Okay, in Christ's parable of the sower, in Luke chapter 8, he tells of the word of God being planted in three types of soil. One type, of course, the best one, the good soil. Verse 15 states, and the seed uh, in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast. That's your ta-da, shamar. Okay, and hold it fast, yeah. And they bear fruit with perseverance. Perseverance, hupomeno, we saw this before, where we get hyper under the skin, hyperdermic needle, so you, needle, and so you bear up under over a period of time, and it's just like you're shamar, man, all the, I don't care, I'm going, you can put, I'm, that's the good soil. I'm gonna do it, I don't care what it takes. I got my superhero cape on. I know what Shamar is. I'm moving forward. I'm glad about this. I delight in it. I'm watching over this. I'm preserving this. And I'm so sincere about this. And I am glad I'm helping out Butluck. Or VBS. Or whatever it is. And then you can stay away from uh, the crackle. Okay? And this is what he says. He says, God does not want only lip service, but rather he desires our sincere obedience. And again, guys, we can't hide nothing from God. He sees in the dark, you know. There is no secret conversation. He hears it all, okay? And strive to be honest and sincere in your obedience to God's will. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. And you can't take it back. You can't get it back. This is Life Live in Las Vegas at Sunrise Baptist Church. And so it will until you get to heaven, okay? Finally, learn to deal with temptation. Let's be reminded of what we've already learned in dealing with temptation. Uh, temptation is not sin, but it can easily lead to sin unless we take action to prevent it, okay? Be proactive. Some actions we need to take in dealing with temptation include, number one, being on the alert, okay? Pay attention, okay, of your surrounding, what's going on. Don't put yourself in an unfortunate situation. Flee, run, get out of there, okay? But don't even go there in the first place. Be alert, pay attention to the traps out there and perceptive, realizing, number two, where our power, okay, remember, it's not just us grunting and growing our strength, it is the, that's where the Spirit of God, that's where the lawnmower starts to kick in and does its thing, okay, but turn the lawnmower on, you know, do whatever you got to do, okay, but that's realizing where our power uh, is to overcome temptation, and in some cases, fleeing, okay, fleeing, or in other cases, destroying, I love this aspect, destroying the object of temptation. Get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Okay? Or investing less time in the relationship that causes temptation. Right? Well, that's the reason why I'm, I'm down there at the bar. I've only been saved for three days and I was a hopeless alcoholic, but I'm down there in the bar witnessing to those guys. I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why I keep getting drunk every night. But I'm down there witnessing 
Okay, well, I mean, if God really calls you in there, you need to make sure that that's truly the Spirit of God leading you. So I'm not against that per se, but using hyperbole for an example, okay, if you're not strong, if that's a temptation for you, if you're not there yet, because we saw the good news is alcoholism, drug abuse, I don't care, whatever it is, gossip, slander, you, you name it, whatever it is, whatever the sin is, the good news is we're no longer a slave uh, to sin in Jesus Christ. And he could deliver you within three days. He delivered me. So I'm not against that, but I'm just saying if anything is a temptation to you and you're not there yet, you're still learning to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit because he's already given it to you, but we have to learn how to utilize that by faith. Then stay away. Why put yourself in that? Why, why torment yourself? Okay, and that's what he's talking about. Unless uh, destroy it or get away from there. If you're not able to handle that company, stay away until you can get stronger, okay? We've been given the, the resources for victory. Uh, we will only choose to walk in obedience uh, to God's law and dependence on his spirit. As Christians, we have been given all we need to live a life uh, that's a consistently obedient uh, life, and God's provision for us consists in delivering us from the reign of sin, uniting us with Christ, and giving us the indwelling Holy Spirit to reveal sin, to create a desire for holiness and to strengthen us to live an obedient life then we must accept our responsibility and appropriate god's provision for a life of service and a life of holiness to him now in closing there's two things i want to share it's a classic quote i believe it was by uh, john wesley he says give me 100 christians who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but god and we can shake this world and i'm wanting to say the original number was 10 not even 100 but i still think even 10 could do it Okay, okay, and I believe that the reason why oftentimes that we see uh, the American church so powerless and so superficial is because we do not fear sin and we do not desire the things of God, including Shamar, I've got to be obedient to him. We just, we're really willy-nilly about it. And it reminds me of the classic charge in 1 Kings chapter 18 Verse 21 from Elijah. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Can I translate that? Obey him. If he's God, obey him. After all he's done for you, is it really that difficult? All right, but if Baal is God, then follow him. Make up your mind. Just don't try playing both sides of the fence. But the people, it says there, this is sad, were completely silent. Did you know that no decision on a challenge like that is still a decision? It means you said no to God. Is really what it is. But again, I'm going to close with one story. I just, I've been looking for this baby for a long time. I go, ooh, that's a perfect way to end this issue of obedience. If we really understood what God has done for us, should, you can't be silent. There is no hesitation to that challenge. It's absolutely, I will obey him. I said, ooh, what can I do? And it's a true story of a modern-day prodigal son story. True story. Absolutely amazing, okay? Uh, it happened in Salinas, California. Okay, and here's how it goes. This is totally true. It's mind-blowing. Why should we obey God? Is it really that hard to obey him? Listen to what this son did. In Salinas, California, there was a wealthy landowner, true story, and uh, just south of San Francisco, kind of off the Central Valley a bit, and this wealthy landowner, and uh, much exactly like the prodigal son story, he had two sons. One was highly respected in the community. He was very subservient to his father. And then another one who was a bit rebellious. And, uh, and uh, the older one was responsible. The other one had this free bird spirit going on. 
Now, from an early age, the younger brother decided that as soon as he turned 18, because his dad had made a promise to both his sons that as soon as they turned 18, he could cash out and basically divide the land and the property and inheritance that he had given and he would give it to them. And they could basically cash out and do whatever they want. So from an early age, the younger son, the rebellious one, in his heart said, as soon as I turn 18, I am out of here, this podunk town, Salinas, and I'm going to grab this cash. I'm taking off and I'm getting as far away from here as I can. This really happened. So sure enough, uh, he was nearing 18. He started pressing his dad. He says, hey, it's time for you to cash me in. Okay, don't you remember your promise? And his dad pleaded with him because he saw the immaturity in his son and said, now is not the time. Please, just, just hang with me three or, or more years, four years. Let me press into you. Let me develop some more maturity and then it's yours. And the son said, no, a promise is a promise. You said 18, I want 18. So reluctantly, when his son turned 18, his dad made good on the promise, wrote the check, and basically gave the property. He cashed it in, an amount that today would literally be millions of dollars. Now, he says this, imagine a freshman in college having millions of dollars at their disposal. So that's what he did. Uh, he took the money and he said, quote, I'm going to get as far away from here as I can and from my dad's rules as possibly as I can. He jumped on the uh, uh, train and he went all the way to New York City. And as soon as he got to New York, he uh, started taking his money and he was just throwing it away. He, he grabbed a nice, the sports car he could get. He grabbed some buddies. He got an elite penthouse on uh, one of the top of the high rises there. He began buying every kind of dating relationship money could buy. And eventually this led to some alcohol problems, some gambling problems. And before long, he began to spend more money and actually accrue more debt that he had to pay off. And eventually the creditors came after him and he had to move out of the penthouse. He had to let go of a sports car. And before he knew it, he was on the upper east side of New York, wandering the streets. His alcoholism had gotten to the point where he was literally pilfering through the garbage can, trying to find bottles that had remnants of alcohol still in them so he could drink. He got all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases, true story, uh, that he had picked up by now. And his whole body now was covered in sores. Uh, and it was just a, 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 such a sight that all his friends obviously left him until one day he was on the street and he came to the reality check where he said, quote, if I don't do something about this now, I'm going to die out here. So he managed to uh, bum some money off a couple of, of his old friends and, and to buy him a train ticket back to Salinas and, and would also get him a couple of meals. And sure enough, he gets on the train and his thought is this, if I can only get back to my dad, then I could just start over. And so he takes the train ride and a couple days pass and he finally winds up in Salinas. He gets off the train. He walks into the square, the little community there, and he realizes, wait a minute. There is no way I can go see my dad face to face. There is no way he's going to accept me back after what I just did and how after I look, okay? He's just going to laugh at me and say, I told you so. So true story, he goes into the cafe there in this town there and he just begins to weep and think about what he was going to do. And so he decided he was going to write a letter to his dad. And he wrote this letter down to his dad and he went out in the streets. He actually found one of his dad's farm workers and gave him the letter and said, will you take this to my dad because I just can't bear to see him right now. And so he did. And the, this guy that's showing the story, he says, I have a copy of the letter and I want to read it to you and see if you can feel the angst in his soul. He said, father, I realize what I've done. I've wasted not only your money, but my life, which was important to you. I can't even begin to tell you about the awful things that I've done. I'm embarrassed. I'm at the end of my rope. I know nothing else to do but to ask you if I can return home. 
I know that there's no reason why you should accept me back, but I plead and beg with you that if you would, even as a farm worker on your land, accept me back. I'll do anything for no pay just for the room and board. He said, Father, I, I have, listen to this, I have just enough money to take the train that passes by our ranch in front of the apple orchard near the edge of the property. I'm going to go by there on a train tomorrow at 1 p.m., and if uh, you would accept me back, I would ask you that you simply drape an old sheet over one of the trees nearest the railroad as I'm passing by. I'll see the signal, and I'll know you've accepted me to come home. If the sheet is not there, then I won't stop at the train station. I'll just keep going on. You see, I can't bear to see you face to face. I don't have the courage. I've done too much, and I have no idea what's going to happen with the rest of my life. Your son. Imagine being in that position. A whole sleepless night went by, and he was filled with anxiety, the young man. The next morning, he jumped on the train, and as soon as he got to the train, he walked to the very back of the train. He sat down next to this old man. And he just put his face in his hands and began to weep as he contemplated what he may or may not see, okay? And he began to share with the old man the story about the things he had done and how he was trying to come back home. And sure enough, as the train passed outside Salinas and got to the outside edge of the town where the ranch was, he looked to the old man and he says, can you do me a favor? Can you just go to the window and, and just tell me if you see one sheet anywhere in this apple orchard? I, I can't bear to look. And so the old man jumped up, he went to the window, and he looked out, and then he looked back at the young man and he said, I think you need to come see this for yourself. And when he jumped up, he went to the window and he looked out, and as far as the eye could see, for five square miles, there was a sheet on every single Do we have any idea the grace that has been applied to us as Christians? He says, Jeremiah said that God has loved us with an everlasting love. And God says, you want to know how much I love you? Is the sun not enough? Is the moon not enough? Are the food and shelter you have not enough? Is the air you breathe not enough? Then how about this? How about I actually send my own son to die in your place so you can be with me? If your love has waned for God, be reminded you serve a God who, while we were still sinners, sent Christ to die for us, who has an everlasting love, and you'll find in your heart a new place of worship, and dare I say, a whole new place for obedience. Obedience is very easy if you understand what God's done for us. We don't have to play any of these games. We don't have to play politics. We don't have to beg. People should be begging, what can I do for Jesus? Sign me up for anything, including that potluck. Let's close in prayer. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. 
And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. 
Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you for sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please. Take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702 452 8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.